Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. We've taken two weeks over the past uh, six weeks, and then we're going to finish it up here, week seven and eight, uh, to overview each of the values. And, you know, we're nowhere near done being uh, unpacking each of the values, but what we wanted to do is uh, overview each one of them. So this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of what we feel like the Lord wants to do in the area of mission and our values and what God wants to actually accomplish here at Central Assembly of God. Uh, Pastor Volt, who was the senior pastor here for 36 and a half years, he used to say this and he'd put it on his emails and he'd say it uh, quite often in person too. He'd say, keep your sunglasses on, S-O-N, sunglasses on. Keep your sunglasses on because our future in Jesus is getting brighter and brighter. And it's the same thing we need to believe today, that he's nowhere near uh, done using us as a powerful, powerful witness of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ here in this region and beyond. If you think about what God has accomplished so far within these first 65 years, we can only imagine what he wants to do in the next 65 years if he would tarry and not return. And when we think about this, I, I, don't, I don't want uh, to just introduce values and then move on. I don't want to have one, one good service or a month of a good services and then it to be over. What we want to do and why we're just overviewing, taking two weeks for each of these values is we wanna create a culture here. We wanna create a supernatural kingdom culture at Central, where people do get touched by God and they do experience the presence of God, but then there's discipleship and there's ministries and there's strategies in place. So as people are coming to know Jesus and as you uh, are being transformed in different areas of your life, there's a sustainability that occurs in our life that we can then make an impact on other people. Does that make sense? That's where this whole uh, term advance comes from. It's not just being touched by God. It's not just being changed by Christ yourself. It's being changed in such a way that you can now take what he's given you and give it to other people. So regardless of the age, Adam said that we have uh, everybody from who could barely walk to who could barely walk. Listen, no matter what age, we want to be able to create a culture at Central that you're uh, courageous enough and boldness, bold enough to take what you've been given and give it to other people. Reproduce yourself in other people. So that thing, you know, you might think uh, that you're retired. You might think, well, that was my day and I, you know, I led this ministry then and I'm, I'm just taking a rest. No, we need every single person on deck to be able to accomplish the mission that Jesus has for us. So to create this culture in the future, our ministries, our programs, our events, our strategies, they're all going to surround this mission and these values. So yes, we're, we're preaching just a few weeks on the values, but they're not going anywhere. We're gonna to continue to surround how we develop ministry and the future of where we're going, the future of, of missions and outreach and everything else will come back to this point. So yeah, we're not going to label every sermon you know, based on one of the values. We're gonna talk about biblical stories and contexts and topics, uh, but they're all going to come back to the mission we feel like the Lord has for us. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture these past six weeks and these next two weeks as really a frame. Uh, what we've been doing with this mission statement and the, the values is building like a, a wooden frame that would hold a canvas. Like without that frame, a canvas would not have a border or a boundary or any type of guidelines. It would just be a material laying on the ground. So what we've done and what we're, we're finishing up in these next two weeks is we're creating this frame 
And then this summer, we're gonna put the canvas on it. Uh, we're gonna talk about it a little bit next week, but we're going into uh, a, a, a series that's gonna last throughout the summer on the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk deep about it. The Holy Spirit's the reason why we can do anything with God, right? The Holy Spirit is the operational power of God on the earth today working through believers. So I don't want to just cast vision and create a frame and then start painting a picture and we have no clue who's giving us this source and this substance. So we, we've gone through our values. We're gonna finish up with advance today and next week. And then we're gonna start plowing through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the canvas upon this frame. I believe that this is the foundation. Uh, he's the foundation upon what we do all of our work with. And then into the fall, even into 2019, we'll begin to discuss how we're gonna frame out our ministries and what our ministries are gonna look like. And that's gonna be the paint that's starting to go on the canvas and the vision that Jesus has for us. So I'm super excited about what God has been doing, what he's gonna be doing in the summertime. Uh, we're not gonna take it light. I, know, I, I actually know of pastors and churches that encourage you to just take it light because it's summer and uh, do something a little bit less theological. People are on vacation. Now, listen, if you go on vacation, that's fine. We got on live stream. You can catch it when you get back or while you're away. We're gonna plow deep. We're gonna get theological. We're gonna lay a good foundation of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our life. And then we're gonna launch off of that into the fall. Amen? Amen. All right. So what I wanna talk about today is advancing the kingdom of God. We talked about this aspect of king, the kingdom of God a lot this fall. So I'm gonna retouch on some of those things today and tie it into how we can actually advance it. There's a statement that's in your bulletin. You don't need to look at it today. I just wanna read it to you. And it deals with the word advance and the value of advance. It says this, we desire to advance the kingdom of God everywhere we go to reach the lost and to disciple the nations. We experience advancement of his kingdom functioning as ascending agency. So we don't want to be a church that gathers people for the sake of gathering and caring just for one another. We want to gather to care for one another, to empower you in order to send you out. It's what Jesus did in Mark 3. We've read it over the last two weeks, I believe, that Jesus called out of all of his disciples, he called his 12, his, uh, his apostles, and it said that, he, that they might spend time with him in order that he may send them out. So that's what we want to do. We want to function as a healthy family, right? We want each one of you to be transformed by Jesus. But in, in that same time, we want to partner together to empower you for the purpose of sending you out. So we're not, our, our main goal is not to get as many uh, behinds in these seats just on Sunday morning. Our goals and what we're gonna try to measure is how many people are we sending back out into your area of influence to make a, a difference for Jesus. So that's what it means by being a sending agency. This is what Jesus did. He trained up his disciples and his apostles to send them out to change the world. It says here, people are released to multiply their God-given influence in their home, community, school, career, marketplace, mission field, and the world, just in case we forgot one, just in the world, it encompasses it all, with the purpose of seeing the gospel transform hearts and lives. That's good. We're not doing this. We're partnering with Holy Spirit who already lives inside of us to simply do what he's calling us to do as individuals and as a church body to see people's lives transformed. That word advance, I looked it up uh, in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It says this, to bring forward, to move further in front, to promote, to raise to a higher rank, 
to improve or make better, to forward and to accelerate growth. Now, I wanna bring clarity to this. We are not moving ourselves forward. We're not putting ourselves in front. We're not promoting ourselves or putting ourselves to a higher rank. What are we advancing? Are we advancing ourselves? We're advancing the what? We're advancing the kingdom of God everywhere we go. So we step in the background. We let the kingdom speak. We let the Holy Spirit speak through us so that he gets the credit in the end. So what I like about this word advance is that it's measurable. You can actually determine whether you're doing this or not. These results, they're measured, I believe, in testimonies. So when we hear uh, people being saved, not just at this altar, not just raising their hand at church. When we hear people being saved because you ministered to them at Walgreens or because you left your cubicle one day and just started talking to someone and three months later, they finally came to know Jesus. When we hear, and we've given testimonies about people's lives being changed, people's uh, bodies being healed, these testimonies become the measurable evidence that his kingdom is advancing. So five years from now, I don't want to have a banner up here and say, yeah, I think we're doing good on this. I'm not really sure. No, we actually want to measure. You know, I just caught an eye with Amy uh, overseeing the Washington Estates ministry. We will actually see marriages restored. We're going to see bodies healed. We're going to see souls saved. We're going to see addicts get set free. It's measurable evidence that the kingdom of God is pressing back and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. That's what I like about it because this isn't just theological. It's not just theory. It's not just philosophy. This is not just, you know, philosophically, you know, how we're going to approach. Now we're going to look for tangible evidence and we're going to see it in Jesus' name. So we're going to, I'm going to go through a variety of different verses, uh, most of them through the gospels. I know it's difficult to just like flip through your Bible. A lot of you like to to jot or to to, uh, underline in your Bible and so on. I like to preach through a larger portion of one scripture and then just tie things in. But through this series, because we're giving an overview right now, and even when we get into the Holy Spirit, we're gonna hit a lot of different verses. This is my suggestion to you, is write these verses down. There's pads right in front of you. You can just write the verse reference down and then go back and read them in context. Because I'm picking a verse out, right? But I want you to verify that it's in context. So I'm going to share verses that obviously prove what I'm saying is true and validating what Jesus wants to do in the advancement of the kingdom. But if you read the rest of that chapter, if you read 10 verses before and 10 verses after, it's gonna give you a greater context. It's gonna let you see it at a larger view and it's gonna teach you a lot more about his word than we have time to do just on a Sunday morning. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so what I wanna do is I wanna look at Matthew chapter 11. Uh, just in verse 12 here, we're talking about advancing the kingdom. And several translations actually use the word advance, and then some use another phrase, which I'll talk about. But just this one, this one verse here, Jesus is talking uh, to disciples here, and it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, now remember, uh, if you remember this fall, if you were with us, uh, Matthew uses the word heaven because he is uh, writing to a Jewish audience. They did not speak Uh, the name of God verbally. In fact, they would even write it uh, skipping one of the letters. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same entity. So he says, from the days of John the Baptist, what was John the Baptist doing? He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was preaching the message of repentance from sin, turning back to God. 
So when people were repenting of sin, they were headed one way, they're repenting, which means change the way you think about sin. So you're changing the way, you're turning away from sin, you're turning back toward God. Well, when you're doing that, Jesus didn't die for sins yet, so there wasn't salvation necessarily available. But when you're turning back to God and you're following God, you're letting God's domain, you're letting God's rulership, his kingship take place in your heart. Anytime that happens, that is already the kingdom of God. So he's saying from the time or from the days of John the Baptist until now, when Jesus was preaching, he says, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, this translation said, and forceful men lay hold of it. This phrase forcefully advancing in some of your translation, you might see the word suffers violence. And I might say like, wait a minute, if something's suffering violence, that's not good. Like if, 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 if something is suffering because of violence. If you look back at the original language here, the connotation is, is this, is that forceful men are storming the kingdom of heaven to get in. Not in a bad way, this is a positive thing. Another way to put it is that they're pressing into the kingdom of heaven in a forceful way, or that they're clutching onto the realm of heaven on earth. Heaven was now, uh, is this a word, tasteable? No, that's probably not a word. No, she's saying no. My wife just said, er, tangible, yes. It is, it's able to be tasted for the first time, experienced for the first time. Like This is what heaven looks like. It's what it feels like. And his name is Jesus. We sang it this morning. So when it's suffering violence and it's forcefully advancing, it's showing this is a spiritual battle, right? The kingdom of darkness through Satan, the prince of this earth, had had control of the earth since the fall of man. John the Baptist shows up. He says, hey, there's a better way coming. You better repent of your sins. Jesus shows up. The kingdom of God is here and it's advancing, cutting through the darkness so that light can shine among men and women. So that's what Jesus is actually saying is happening. There's no evidence in scripture that that ever stopped. In fact, verse after verse after verse is showing that the kingdom is continuing to advance and it will until the final judgment. So you look here, Jesus is preaching. His messages were convicting hearts, but his miracles were convincing hearts. This is how the kingdom advances. I think we overcomplicate this sometimes. The preaching of the word should convict a heart to change. Miracles being uh, demonstrated should convince a heart that this God is real. So as your heart is repenting and your heart is being convinced that there is a miracle working God who still exists, who still loves you, who still has a purpose, your heart will become tenderized to the Lord and his kingdom will actually advance more in your own personal life. So this is where we've talked about the kingdom of God all throughout this fall. The kingdom of God is a spiritual dimension that is God's domain, where he rules and where he reigns. In fact, if you look at any kingdom, it's a kingdom is the domain of a king. Now in the earthly realm, kings rule not over necessarily just people, but over territories. But when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, it's a spiritual reality in people's lives. So God's not so much interested in like ruling over neighborhoods and so on. He wants to rule and reign in your heart. Does that make sense? So what we're doing is when we're ministering to people, we're not ruling over them. We're not controlling them. What we're doing is allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us until they uh, turn their hearts back to God. One definition that I read of the kingdom of God says this, the kingdom of God is the governing influence of God in people's lives which impact us with his will, his purpose, and intent. 
And what this does is it produces a culture, it produces values, it produces morals and a lifestyle that reflect God's desires and nature for his children. So if you're following this, when our heart turns to God, even if you're a Christian, you turn back to him, you repent of something, you confess something, whatever it is, all the way to a person who's far from God, when people are responding to God and he now has influence in their lives, his morals, his values, his will, his intent, his purposes, his lifestyle now becomes a reality in our lifestyle. And the more we can match that up with the life of Jesus, we'll know that King, uh, the, the Lord has rulership over our life. So now if you think about this scripturally, any time God's goodness, his peace, his grace, salvation, healing, deliverance, release from anxiety, whatever it is, anytime God's will is superimposed, is covered in somebody's life, the kingdom of God has come. A lot of times we think it's just when people give their life to Jesus. But if you look throughout scripture, he talks about many times uh, different areas of faith and belief systems and miracles and healings. And he would say the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come upon that person. So it's just the reality of God's rule and reign being experienced in someone's life. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is being accused of casting out demons in the power of another demon. So he, talk, he starts talking, he says, listen, a house cannot be divided, a nation can't be divided. He says a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. So he's already talking about kingdoms here. And he goes on in verse 20, he says this, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, a lot of your translations say the power of God. It's just the finger of God, the touch of God, the hand of God, the power of God. It says, then the kingdom of God has come to you or has come upon you. So if you're following this, watch. If Jesus does really anything, if he casts out a demon, if he heals a sick person, if he preaches until somebody repents, then if, when that happens, if it's done through the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Nothing changes today, right? Jesus ascended to be with the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit who lives in us. And now we go and minister the same exact way. When you share a message of love, when you share a message of encouragement, when you pray with somebody, anytime they receive ministry from you and the power of God is operating, the kingdom of God is coming upon that person. <clears throat> so that's how we're advancing the kingdom. We're not doing it, doing it through force, manipulation, control, pressure, none of that stuff. We represent the love of Jesus. We go and we minister to people when they receive that in their hearts in any measure, it's not just salvation, but it absolutely includes salvation and salvation is necessary to get to heaven. Salvation is necessary to experience the fullness of the kingdom. But all of these other pieces, anytime they receive the ministry of the gospel into their hearts, the kingdom of God has come upon them. Now that's tangible. It's measurable when they receive prayer from you at work. Well, they let me pray with them and they seemed encouraged, but they didn't give their life to Jesus. That's okay, the kingdom still came. You keep praying and you keep witnessing, you keep sharing, you keep being relational, you keep uh, reaching out to them and the kingdom will continue to come upon them. Every time darkness gets pushed back, the kingdom of God is advancing. It's probably happening a lot more than you actually give yourself credit for. The more we become aware of his movement, the more expectation we'll have that he's going to move even more. 
So take time to recognize what he's doing through your life. A simplified definition of the kingdom of God that we used this past fall, I wanted to just remind you of it. It'll be up on the screen. Kingdom of God is God's heart for his people. Pretty simple, right? His heart for his people expressed through the lives of his children through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a very simple version. God's kingdom can come without us ministering to somebody. I'm not saying it only comes through us, but we can't, how many of you know, we can't determine the sovereignty of God, right? He can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, wherever he wants to do it. So because that's not in our control, what's in our control? What we do. So the part of the kingdom of God that we need to grasp and take hold of forcefully, like the scripture was saying, is the part that we play a role in. So if we're understanding God's heart for other people, every person, no matter how close or far they are from God, are his children. He created them with a purpose. So it's his heart for them expressed through us because we have the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, you know, scripture is pretty clear in Ephesians chapter two at verse six, talking about us having authority to actually operate as God's representative on earth. It says that we're seated with Christ and that we're citizens of heaven. So we actually have the privilege of sitting next to Jesus, spiritually speaking, right? Our spirit, when it was reborn again, it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse six, God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So if we're already seated there, we don't have to yell to get God's attention. We don't have to beg to find out what Jesus wants to do. A lot of us need to just learn to rest in him once again. Instead of fighting and toiling and you know, having all of our swords out and ready to go, maybe we just have to rest in Jesus again and realize, spiritually speaking, we are sitting next to Jesus. We're not far from him. He's not sick of you. You don't get on his nerves. He's not pushing you far away. You're actually seated next to him because of what he did for you. So when you have a really bad day, a really bad week, a really bad month, or even a bad year, he's not pushing you away. You didn't get there because of your performance. You're not gonna stay there based on your performance. You got there because you believed in something he did for you. And now you're there because of him. So now to advance that, we have to understand, even in the next scripture here in Philippians chapter three, it says that we're, we have our citizenship in heaven. So not only are we seated there, but that's where our citizenship is. So if you think about this, you're a son or a daughter of the king. And because we live in his kingdom and we're part of his royal family, we now have authority to take what he's given us and expand that to new territories. And we're not trying to take over new land, right? Or, or we're not going to like our neighbor's yard and pushing back their boundaries. It's in their hearts that we're doing this. So if you think about it, uh, raise your hand if you've ever visited an, another country. Like a good many of you. So when you go to that country, you're now a foreigner, okay? You're outnumbered by them. So what probably happens is this. You step into a foreign land, you have your passport, and you're around people who are speaking a different language. They're operating in a different culture. There's different foods. There's different ways of driving and just doing life in general. What happens is if you stay there long enough, you will be affected by them. In fact, if any of you have had uh, uh, relatives that have grown up here and they, they talk like Yins and Nat you know, from Pittsburgh and they move down south, if they're there long enough, they might actually come back with a Southern draw. You're like, where did you get that? You're not allowed to have that. You're from Pittsburgh. 
But if you go into a foreign area, what happens in the natural is you become like the culture you're surrounded with. In the kingdom of God, it's exactly opposite. He has sent us to be in this world, but not of this world. So when we become children of God, we get the kingdom placed within us, right? The Bible says the kingdom of God is within us. So we're taking a foreign culture. We're taking a foreign value system into the places where you work and where your kids play sports and where you swim at the pool in the summer. You're actually taking a foreign kingdom to people that are living in the kingdom of darkness now. Now, this is the good thing, is it doesn't work like this in the natural. You're not to be affected by the kingdom of darkness. We are to affect the kingdom of darkness. Completely switched. So we don't get their accent, they get our accent. We don't come back with a southern draw. They come back talking like Jesus did. I'm not against a southern draw, by the way. Do you see how different it is? It's switched. The more you're around people who are lost and hurting, addicted, depressed, broken, they should look more like Jesus the more you are around them versus you looking like them and discouraged and now you're swearing a little bit because they are, like all that stuff. Completely switching the kingdom. We have a power that is unstoppable living within us. I'm really excited to learn about them this, this summer too. Let's take a look. In Isaiah chapter nine, it prophesies about Jesus' ever-expanding kingdom. This thing is never going to stop getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In verse uh, six, I've read this, this past fall too. I just want to retouch on it. Everybody would know these as the Christmas verses. <laughs> this is about his kingdom. This is not about Christmas morning. This is about his kingdom expanding and ever-increasing. Front to us, a child is born, right? You can almost feel warm when you start the Christmas carols. <laughs> Front to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Okay, that means he was born, he's here. Now follow the rest of this out outside of the context of Christmas. And the government will be on his shoulders. What is the government of God? It's the kingdom of God. He wears it upon his shoulders. He's the head, we are the body. Resting upon his shoulders is the kingdom of God. We have a role to play in this. I, I need you to see that. Jesus is the head. We are the body. The government is sitting on his shoulders. He can direct that government wherever he wants to and however he wants to. But we are his body. We're, function, we're functioning parts of the body of Christ. It says, he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All wonderful names of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And watch what happens in verse seven. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's pretty clear. Like, you don't have to debate that. So what that's saying is, his government and his peace are going to increase and increase and increase and increase, and it's never, ever, ever going to end. It says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it. I love this. With justice and righteousness from that time uh, on and forever. When you're involved in something or in people's lives that aren't living righteously or if you're being affected by something where it's just unjust, you're not facing justice, you have to understand the moment that he was born, the king showed up. He is already reigning. His kingdom is already expanding and it's already increasing and it's going to continue to. But he's upholding this kingdom, it says here, with justice and with righteousness. So he has his family covered. 
It might take longer than what you think in the situation that you're in, but he's upholding this government, which we are a part of because he wears it on his shoulders. He's upholding this with justice and righteousness. Now, if you flip to, or you, it'll be on the screen, if you go to the New Testament, in Matthew 24, he's also talking about this kingdom or this government. He just uses the word kingdom instead of government. Jesus is talking about the end times, the end of the world, the end of the age to his disciples. And he says this in verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Now watch this. In Isaiah, it says that there's never gonna be an end to the increase of his government and of peace, right? Jesus is upholding it. But in Matthew, it says, once his kingdom has been preached throughout the whole world, the end will come. So what's the difference here? Jesus is talking about the end of this era, the end of, of this age, the age of the church, where then this end comes and then it's concluding with the final judgment. But what I love about this, if we can get past thinking, well, is Jesus still with me in my problems and can he handle this situation? If we understand that the kingdom of God is going to be preached to all nations, what that really specifically means where it says all, all nations there, it's people groups. It's not once every country that has a flag uh, hanging from it, its national capital, then the end's gonna come. No, it's people groups. There are a lot more people groups out there than our nations, just tribes and, and, and everywhere. So I want you to understand that. But when this preaching happens and then this comes, that's the end of this era. That's the end of this age. But back in Isaiah, it says that his kingdom, the increase of his government will never end. So even in glory, even in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, his kingdom is going to continue to increase. His government, his justice, his peace will continue to increase. That's amazing to think. Like when you get there face to face with God, you think like, I've arrived. Oh no, it gets better and better and better and better and better, like forevermore. That's an awesome reality. It's an awesome reality. So I want you to see in, in verse 24, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in chapter 24, this is where it would really help for you to read in context. I shared this a little bit last fall. But if you look in context, Jesus is talking about warning signs. He's talking about wars and rumors of wars. He's talking about famines and earthquakes, nation rising up against nation. And now if you watch the evening, uh, late, like late night Christian television, this is what you're going to hear talking about. Any war that pops up, any famine that's there, they're pointing to end times prophecy with this. The one thing that concerns me about this is that people can, can, can um, produce fear out of this. Well, there's another war, there's another famine. Oh my goodness, the earthquake, the, the lava in Hawaii, all of this stuff. And what happens is you get focused on the bad stuff and then you're saying the end's coming and all this bad stuff's happening. What's supposed to happen to us? Out of all these verses in Matthew 24, what is the one verse that signals the end of the world? Is it the war? Is it the famine? Is it the earthquake? Is it nation rising up against nation? What's the one thing that qualifies evidence as signaling the end of the world? Somebody can call out. That the kingdom will be preached to the entire world that all the nations will hear, then the end will come. It's interesting that we don't have control over when a, world, a war starts or when an earthquake happens or when a famine happens, but we do have control on how much we preach the word and how much we minister to somebody and how much we love people. 
So yeah, I, I believe that there, there will be calamity. There will be increased persecution in this country. I don't think times are going to get easier, but that, we're, that's not in our control. The one thing that signals the end of the world is something that we can actually take and be responsible for with our life, being used by the Holy Spirit to minister. Jesus says uh, in Mark chapter 16, actually before I even get there, if you, want, if you reduce this one verse about the good news of the kingdom being preached, if you reduce this and just look at this one verse, you might think it's just preaching, like it's just the spoken word. In fact, that word preaching, do you know that just means publicly announcing? Like you don't need this, you don't need this, you don't need this to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, we would, we're gonna be here for like thousands and thousands more years if the church waits for the 1% of paid pastors who make up Christianity to preach. Because people in the middle of a jungle in Africa aren't coming to look at somebody standing on a stage behind a pulpit with their nice, neat notes. So he needs every single one of us. You might say, well, okay, this people group of the United States, they've heard. So let's move on. Yeah, but if somebody hasn't heard in their heart yet that you know, then they haven't heard yet. So you can advance the kingdom and expand the kingdom right where you are. And maybe the Lord is calling some of you to go to the nations. If we qualify this just as preaching though, we're missing the point. We're taking that one verse out of context. Because if you just simplify this, look through the gospels. Almost every single time Jesus preaches, teaches, admonishes, instructs, there's a miracle that follows or there's a miracle that leads in. So when you hear that, the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom must be preached and the end will come. He's not just talking about pr proclaiming with words because his entire life, and then if you look in Acts, the entire life of the church was confirmed by signs, wonders, and miracles. And when you hear words like that, that might make you uncomfortable. You might say, well, I'll witness to somebody and I'll love on somebody. I'll buy them some extra bread if I need. I'll cut grass for you know, a single person or a widow. But that whole miracle thing, that's not for me. Yes, it is because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So if you're nervous about it and you're like, well, I don't even know how to try, then just do this. I was, I was praying last night looking at this. I'm like, how do you activate somebody in, in the miraculous without like all this training and stuff? I feel like the Lord said this. Tomorrow morning, before you leave uh, for work or for school or wherever you're going, just ask the Lord to put you into a situation that would be impossible for you to do on your own. And then when, you're, when you find that situation that's impossible, start to pray. And guess what? When you see God move, that's a miracle. Now you might think like, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm gonna look for the person in the wheelchair that I have to pray for them. If they don't stand up, a miracle hasn't happened. No, no, no. Look, look for the person tomorrow that looks somber. You and your own power can't change their mood. You can't change their soul. So now you say, that person looks sad. That person's always cranky on Monday. How are you doing today? Well, it's Monday. Find that person tomorrow. <laughs> it's impossible for you in the flesh to fix that person. But then you look them in their eye and you start to pray inside. Oh God, help me, help me. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? He might give you an encouraging statement. He might give you a card to write, a letter to do. He might say, hey, let's go out to lunch today. He's gonna do something that probably looks a little bit more practical than you think, but it's him working the miraculous in the natural. It's naturally supernatural, okay? So don't, again, don't wait for the microphone. Don't wait for somebody to get out of a wheelchair. Ask the Lord, put me into a situation that's impossible for me to fix myself. When you get into that situation, pray. 
Obey, what, do whatever he's telling you to do in that situation and watch God show up. And you'll see miracles start to take place in your life. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is just another addition of the Great Commission. We usually read out of Matthew 28, which we're going to do in just a few minutes, but this is just another, uh, another conversation of it. So he says to his uh, disciples, starting at verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news. This is the good news about the kingdom, right? It's all about the kingdom of God advancing. So we're preaching, we're proclaiming through conversations, small groups, one-on-one discussions. It says, preach to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's being born again. Whoever does not will be condemned. That's at the final judgment. So this is the preaching part, right? This would be easy now. We could just witness, talk about Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 17, in context. And these signs will accompany those who believe. And I, and I honestly, I, I believe in my heart, this is not just believing in Jesus, because there are plenty of people who believe in Jesus that don't believe that miracles still are in operation today. I believe this is believing in a miracle-working Jesus. Those who believe that Jesus will actually work through them in miracles. He says, in my name, they will drive out demons. You qualify for that. They will speak in new tongues. You qualify for that. I would not encourage you to go off on verse 18 on your own on purpose, but it says they will pick up snakes with their hands and they will, not, uh, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. No, we do not handle snakes at this church. No, if you look at Paul, right? The snake came out and bit him. He shook it off into the fire. It didn't harm him. There's a lot of persecution that's happening. If you were in a foreign country where snakes are more prevalent and there's torture and persecution, these would make a lot more sense to you. You probably can't think of the last time you drank poison, right? But there's a belief that a miracle will happen. The divine protection of the Lord would be upon you. And it says they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That word means recover, be healthy again. Is it our hand that's healing? No, it's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. So he's saying preach and let these signs follow. And this is where you come in. This is where you let your conversations, your laying on of hands, your belief that God's going to do something impossible through your life today. That could start this afternoon at lunchtime. That could start tomorrow morning at work. That could start at your summer job for you know, your high school students. It could start any time that you want it to start. It's our responsibility to respond to him and then let the kingdom advance. So if you think about these verses intertwined that I shared today, and I'm gonna end with one more. In Matthew 11, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and it still is today. In Luke chapter 11, when ministry is done in the power of God, that means the kingdom of God has come upon that person. In Isaiah 9, there will be an ever-increasing increase of his government. There will never be an end to this increase of his kingdom. In Matthew 24, the good news of the kingdom is gonna be preached to all people groups and then the end will come. And then in Mark 16, signs should be following the preaching of the kingdom of God. Then we come to the last verse of the day here in Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. It's just a different angle, a different conversation from what we just read in Mark chapter 16. <clears throat> I think sadly enough, a lot of churches do, you know, will say this is the Great Commission and we're fulfilling the Great Commission and people will have it, you know, on the door going out, go out into your mission field and fulfill the Great Commission. But the, 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 this can actually be fulfilled in a tangible, practical, sustainable way. 
That's what we want to equip each other to do here at Central. So Jesus tells his disciples this, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So he's saying, the Father has handed me all of the authority. I'm about to go up to be with the Father. So I'm handing you the authority, and you the authority, and you the authority. There's evidence that there's not just his 12 apostles there, which means his followers qualify for this. We lost our authority back in the garden with Adam and Eve. Jesus regained it with his death and resurrection. He's holding the baton of authority and now he just starts tossing them out. To people like who aren't even really ready. If you follow out the the disciples, they're still messing it up till the very end. Still not believing. Thomas is like, "Uh uh-uh, ain't believing it till I see his scars. So Jesus is like, okay, look look at my hand, look at my side. They spent three and a half years with the savior of their world and they're still messing it up and he's sending them out. So this is our commission. It still applies to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The end of the age is the same thing as the end will come back in Matthew 24. So he's taught them several weeks or months or however it is earlier that the preaching of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom will occur to all people groups, then the end will come. Over here, hey, you remember what I talked about over there? I'm sending you out to do that now. I've given you authority to do that now. Go and advance the kingdom. Make disciples of all nations. What is that? People groups. Baptize them. But listen, don't forget this, guys. Don't forget this, ladies. I'm with you until the end of that age. I'm here and I'm with you as you're preaching the gospel. I'm here and I'm with you as you're advancing the kingdom until the final judgment, until the end of time. Age, experience, background, none of that are qualifying factors. Jesus in you, Christ in you is the only qualifying factor. Now you'll hear it say that the Great Commission The main verb there is go, and it's not. It's actually make disciples. That's why we phrase this everywhere we go, because it's actually, it could be better translated, as you're going, make disciples. I wanna read to you from a commentary quickly. It says, the words go, baptizing, and teaching, in verse 20, are each participles, English lesson, dependent upon the main verb, make disciples. The command to make disciples is the primary command, while the commands to go, to baptize, and to teach are ways of fulfilling the primary command. So I think sometimes we we make up a completely different model than what Jesus actually meant. Making disciples meant he spent enough time with people until they look like him enough that that he sent them out. So that's what we want to do. We want to make disciples here in the church and then you'll go out and make disciples also. Now, stick with me for a few more minutes because I I want you to understand this. The word disciple, a lot of times we'll think that means, like you'll you'll, um, compare the word disciple to Christian. You'll say, well, if you're a disciple then you must already be a Christian, okay? When does it say that the disciples surrounded around Jesus? Were they already born again Christians? No. He gathered them. Back in Mark 3, he gathered all the disciples and he called 12 to his side. And they were still his disciples, but they were called apostles. So follow this. 
He's discipling them and they are disciples. Disciple means follower or learner. So they are his disciples before they actually ever believe he's the Messiah. So the person you've been praying for and talking to in your neighborhood or at your workplace that doesn't know Jesus already, if they're following your example, if they're following your ways, if they're watching their mouth a little bit more, if they're cheating a little bit more, a little bit less, I almost got that wrong, because, <laughs> because of you, they are, they, they are disciple, they're being discipled by you. You're drawing them closer to Jesus. If we make the word disciple just about the moment they say yes, what we're going to do is force them to say yes. We'll manipulate a conversation. We'll scare them. We'll say, listen, you're gonna head to hell if you do this and this and this. Okay, I'll say yes to whatever you're saying. I just want out of this conversation. Don't do that. That's not the Lord. If fear gets them into the kingdom, guess what has to keep them there? Fear. If control manipulation gets them into the kingdom, you have to continue to control and manipulate them to keep them there. So instead, just know where you go, the kingdom is within you. Minister to people, encourage people, pray with people. And as they're receiving that, the kingdom of God is coming upon them and upon them and upon them. And maybe you'll water for 10 years in someone else's life. They'll move out of the area and you'll say, oh, it's a failure. No, it's not. You don't know when they show up in their new place, workplace, their new home, and they don't come to know Jesus that first moment. We're responsible for flowing with the Holy Spirit and advancing his kingdom, discipling nations. It says here, and we're, we're serious about this. It says, so as you go, we're gonna talk about that next week. We're making disciples. We're gonna train how to do that in a practical way. We're gonna teach them to observe or obey what Jesus has commanded. So what Jesus has taught you, you're gonna teach them just people in your life. And the, the last one it says is the bat, or it's in the middle, but it says to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We did this in the past. We haven't done it for several years, but I wanna begin doing it again. If you're leading somebody to Jesus and they're in a relationship, they come to church and they come to Jesus months later, but you invited them, I want you in the tank with them. You don't have to be a, a paid pastor to, to baptize somebody. It's a, it's a tradition that the church has caught on to. It doesn't have to be in the baptismal. It can be in a lake, in a river, in a pool, in a bathtub, whatever. So we want you. When you're leading people to Jesus, you're bringing people, we want you to be in there with them. So you can say tangibly, sustainably, measurably, I'm fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm actually advancing the kingdom everywhere I go. Why don't you stand? If you could just bow your head uh, with me before we close today. Uh, if you could bow your head, close your eyes, just close yourself off uh, with just you and the Lord. I do just want to ask. Uh, we don't want to preach about advancing the kingdom and going off and doing things. If there's someone in here that doesn't know uh, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in their own heart. So if that is you today and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never laid your life down, you never, if you've never said, I'm putting away my old selfish and sinful ways and I want a brand new start with Jesus. If there's anyone in this room today that wants to do that for the very first time, I want you to just look up at me with confidence. You can raise your hand with boldness to know this is a brand new start in your life. Is there anyone in this room today that wants to do that? Brand new start with Jesus. You can just look up at me. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you so much, ma'am. Bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? A brand new start. I see you too back here in the back. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? 
that says, let watch the kingdom of God come. Anyone else? You're just, you're just starting over, a brand new start with Jesus. Anyone else? Hallelujah. All right, I want you to look up at me. What we're experiencing today, the kingdom of God is a spiritual, is a spiritual reality, right? So what's happening here? As people are raising their hand and looking up at me, there's repentance taking place. There's a changing of a mindset. There's a changing of a heart. So we don't see it with our physical eyes, but I want us to start seeing it with our spiritual eyes. So when people will say, yeah, you can pray with me, and they look like this, and now they look like this, in, in the eyes of your heart, you'll start to see darkness being pushed back and the kingdom of God forcefully advancing. So what I wanna do for those two, those two individuals, I wanna give a shout and praise to the Lord that the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back today and then we'll minister to you two ladies after this service. So on the count of three, let's just give praise for what God's kingdom doing. One, two, three. Father. God, we do celebrate what your, what your kingdom is doing. We take none of the credit at all, and we just thank you. We thank you that we get to play a part in this. We thank you that we get to partner with a divine God. You created everything, and we get to partner with you in doing this. We love it. We love it. We thank you so much, God, for using broken people like us to simply share your love. Father, we ask that you would continue to empower us. Let us see your miracles at work even today, even this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.